And You're the God of the comeback, Lord. No matter how bleak our situation may appear, Father, in You we have hope. In You we have encouragement. And in You we can have victory. Thank You, Lord, for this time together. We pray that You will just bless our study of Your Word, Father, and help us to walk away encouraged and inspired. In the precious name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. It's known as the single greatest comeback in National Football League history. The game was played at Rich Stadium in Orchard Park, New York, on January 3rd, 1993. I remember watching on television. It was, it was an AFC wildcard game. The first round of the, of the playoffs between the Buffalo Bills and the Houston Oilers. Now, the Buffalo Bills came into the game already decimated by injuries. They lost their star quarterback, Jim Kelly. They lost their defensive star, Cornelius Bennett. By halftime, they lost their star running back, Thurman Thomas. And their star, their lack of star power was exposed early and often. For the first 32 minutes of the one-hour game, the Houston Oilers looked like an unstoppable powerhouse. Led by quarterback Warren Moon, The Oilers moved the ball up and down the field. They seemingly scored at will. And by early in the third quarter, thanks to the many Buffalo miscues and blunders and the solid play of Houston, the score was 35-3. to Houston was leading. And if you follow football, third quarter, 35-3, to the game is over. Buffalo was lethargic. They clearly looked outmatched, outplayed, outcoached. But it was in that third quarter that something amazing happened. Backup quarterback Frank Reich, who was making his first NFL playoff start, began an amazing turnaround. Throw after throw suddenly started finding their way into the receiver's hands. Those same receivers who dropped everything in the first half suddenly started making every catch possible. The defense became solid and all of a sudden stymied Houston from ever scoring again in the game. And after four touchdown passes and a field goal in about 20 minutes, the Buffalo Bills came all the way back from that 32-point deficit and won the game 38-35. to It was amazing. It was an amazing, thrilling victory. But it wasn't just any come-from-behind victory. It was the greatest, the biggest comeback in NFL history. No one had ever come back from that big a point deficit that late into the game. Frank Reich had just orchestrated the greatest NFL comeback ever. And a song was his inspiration. Frank explained, My sister had called me earlier in the week to tell me about an amazing song she had just heard that she thought was just incredible. And it reminded her of me and she wanted me to hear it. So I listened to the song. The song was Michael English's In Christ Alone. We just heard it. I opened it and listened to it. And basically for three to four straight days, I listened to it every free second I could. Frank was so inspired by the song and the role it played in motivating him during that comeback that he wanted to share it with the world in his post-game press conference. And he did. He said, as I stood behind the podium, typically they just start firing questions at you. And I said, hold on. But before you ask me any questions, I want to share the lyrics to a song that inspired me this week. A song I feel represents my life. 
And then he says, I read the lyrics to In Christ Alone in their entirety. In Christ alone will I glory, though I could pride myself in battles won. For I've been blessed beyond measure and by His strength alone I've overcome. He says, after that whole game was over and the lyrics were read, it seemed as if that song was written for that one game in time. But he says, what I've since realized is that the song and the lyrics are really about everyday Christian living. In every victory, let it be said of me that my source of strength and my source of hope is in Christ alone. There's no other way. Only Christ can bring victory out of sure defeat. Only He can provide a comeback in our lives. Have you ever been in a place that you've dug yourself into such a hole that nothing short of a miracle could pull you out? Maybe you're there today. You failed. You fell. You floundered. It doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter what the reason is. It doesn't matter what the cause was. I have good news for you today, friend. Christ can be the source of your comeback. The Scriptures provide us so many inspirational comeback stories to remind us that we can never dig a hole so deep from which Christ can't pull us out. I could preach a whole series of sermons on great comeback stories in the Bible, but today we're going to look at three. Three different characters in the Bible who experienced three different comebacks for three very different reasons. And maybe you'll identify with one of their stories today. Turn with me to our first comeback story, the comeback from failure. Matthew 26, 31 to 35. You can look up at the video screens. Jesus here is speaking to his disciples on the last night before he's arrested and crucified. Matthew 26, verse 31. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, No. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Big words. Big words and the, and the best of intentions. But after Jesus was arrested, let's, let's read how it played out. Verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. 
Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. We can't say Peter wasn't prepared. Jesus warned him. He told him exactly what would happen. And yet Peter was still extremely confident that he would stand up for Jesus. He was fired up. Even if all disown you, I never will. He was ready to stand for Christ anytime and anywhere. But in the heat of the moment, under the pressure and the threat and the fear, what happened? He failed. He denied the one he loved and the one who loved him so much. And he had to live with that betrayal. The label of failure hung over his head. Epic fail, right? Have you worn that label before? Failed. Failed. Had a great opportunity. Had all the confidence in the world. Had chance after chance. Had all the resources, but failed. Your education, your marriage, your job performance, raising your children, your relationships. You may have had the best of intentions, but you look back today and the results tell a different story. What do you do? What do you do now? Well, so often in our frail humanity, we begin to extract the reasons, right? The excuses for our failures. We begin to, to point the fingers. We dig up the past. We catalog the individuals who are to blame for the cause of our failure. We're so good at this. We're good at shifting the responsibility off of ourselves and onto other people, other circumstances, contributing factors, we call them. Other events, they're to blame. They're the reason why. One of the things I continually reiterate to my kids is that I don't mind if they fail. Failure is part of learning. It's part of life. I don't mind if they make mistakes. I don't mind if they mess up, but take responsibility for your failure. Right? Own it. Own the failure. Don't point your finger at other people. Don't make excuses. Be big enough to say, I blew it. That's the first step in the comeback. How did Peter respond? He could have found many excuses. They were there. Look, I was emotionally distraught over my circumstances. And I wasn't thinking clearly. My mentor was taken away from me, so I didn't know how to respond. The people questioning me pressured me into providing an answer I didn't really mean. The other disciples, where were they? They all ran away. I'm left alone to stand. That's not fair. The servant girls were rude. The night, the night was too cold. The courtyard was too crowded. The situation was just too heated. None of it. None of it. Peter used none of it as an excuse. The moment he failed, the moment that denial flew out of his mouth and he heard the rooster crow, we read that Peter went outside and wept bitterly. He didn't get mad at his situation, at the people who caused his failure. He owned it. He went outside and wept bitterly. That's contrition. That's admitting I failed. 
That's taking ownership of your wrong actions and your wrong decisions and your wrong words. And can you imagine the repentance that came with those bitter tears? Peter immediately admitted and repented and that's when God begins the turnaround. Friend, it doesn't matter how you failed. It doesn't matter why you failed. All that matters is that you own the failure and you bring it to the Father. Like a child who brings his broken toys to to his father, let's bring our failures to God. He doesn't judge. He doesn't punish. He begins to fix. He begins to heal. Recently, my son, my oldest son, Jordan, who has an amazing world-class talent of using things in ways they were never intended. (laughs) It's a gift. It's a gift. He came to tell me that he had somehow pulled the towel bar off the wall. Again. And he was frightened at how I'd respond. But, But he came to me and he admitted it. He admitted the situation. And apparently this time he wasn't swinging on it. This time there were no pull-ups or chin-ups involved. He was just leaning on it. And and this time he didn't just leave it there. He came and brought it to me and told me what happened. But he was terrified at at how I was going to respond. And after censoring the responses in my head, (laughs) containing phrases like, are you kidding me? Not again. How, How many times have I told? No. I calmly told him, Thank you for telling me the truth. Now let's go fix it together. And he was so thrilled that there was no punishment. And I explained to him, when you own your actions and you're honest about them, that's when the fixing begins. That's what happened with Peter. He wept. He repented. He had to live with the guilt. Yeah, he had to live with the shame. Uh huh. But God was working on his comeback at that very moment of repentance. He didn't give up on Peter. He didn't throw him away. He didn't demote him or change his plans for the future. I had big plans for you, Peter. They're gone now. I got to find someone more reliable. No. What happened? Jesus was flogged, beaten, tortured, crucified, killed, placed in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he walked out. He walked out victorious. And when the women came to the tomb on that first Easter morning, the angel delivered a message from God. Mark 16, 6-7. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Tell Peter. Tell Peter too. Make sure to tell Peter. Don't forget about Peter. He may have written himself off. Those around him may have written him off. But I haven't. God is in the business of forgiveness. And God is in the business of restoration. Henry Ford was right when he said that failure was the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. God can provide us another chance. God can provide us the opportunity, but there are three things 
we have to do with our failure. One, own it. Two, learn from it. And three, given the opportunity, start again. Go back and start again. That's the beginning of a comeback story. And what a rest of the story Peter had. Jesus sat with him after He appeared to the disciples and He reinstated him. John 21, 15-19 When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love Me more than these? Yes, Lord, He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed My lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love Me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of My sheep. The third time He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love Me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love Me? He said, Lord, You know all things. You know that I love You. Jesus said, feed My sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then He said to him, follow Me. It was the same exact command, the same two words He told Peter when He first met him on the shore when He was a fisherman. Follow Me. Same thing. Start again. You may have failed. You may have fallen. But you're forgiven and you're restored. Keep following. Keep going the same right way you were before you fell. Jesus took that label that hung over Peter's head, the label of failure, and He tore it to pieces. What did He replace it with? Commissioned. Feed My sheep. Later at Pentecost, He added more labels to it. Anointed. After the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Peter was filled with all the gifts he needed to lead the young church. That Pentecost morning, he gave such a powerful sermon about Jesus to the crowd in Jerusalem that 3,000 people got saved and, and wanted to get baptized immediately. Peter became the first apostle to perform a miracle in Christ's name. And working with Paul, he, he later recognized that the church needed to be open to all people, Jews and Gentiles. More labels. Preacher. Leader. Hero of the faith. Nowhere else can that happen. Only in Christ can the label of failure be transformed into commissioned, anointed preacher, leader, and hero. That's a comeback. He owned his failure. He took it to the Father and he found forgiveness. He found restoration and He found a new purpose. That's our first comeback. The comeback from failure. Let's look at our second one. The comeback from disobedience. We all know the story of a prophet named Jonah, don't we? He received a very special command from the Lord. Jonah 1.1 The Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed 
for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh to warn them to turn from their wicked ways. Nineveh, for some good 50 years, was the largest city in the world. It helped 120,000 citizens. It took over three days' journey to cross from one end of the city to the other. It was a huge city. God even referred to it as the great city of Nineveh. What an opportunity to rescue the perishing. But Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah refused. Jonah disobeyed, rebelled, and headed as far away from Nineveh as he could possibly go. Why? I'm sure Jonah had his reasons for not wanting to go. We often, we often theorize about them, but the reality is, you know what? They don't matter one bit. When God asks you to do something, there's not one good reason for disobedience. I can imagine Jonah looking out from that deck of the, of the boat to the beautiful open seas, the clear skies, the passing scenery, and, and thinking, see, nothing bad happened. I went my own way and things are just fine. I followed my heart. I followed my gut instinct. And look, I'm blessed with such a wonderful trip and the beautiful view ahead of me. I'm going to enjoy the destination. It'll be a nice vacation. I've earned this. But the clear skies and the calm seas wouldn't last very long. Friend, if you're in disobedience to God, if you've rebelled against something He's wanted you to do, don't expect smooth sailing for long. I'm not being negative. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm just explaining that God will go to great lengths to get your attention. How great? Keep reading. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What what, what kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. He recognized the hand of God in his disobedience. That's a great lesson for us. Recognize God's chastisement in your disobedience. It isn't chance. It isn't misfortune. It isn't persecution. It's chastisement. Verse 13, instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. 
Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Wow. I've heard of cruise ship nightmares. This one takes the cake. The beautiful cruise became a horrific nightmare from calm, beautiful seas to a raging storm to the putrid entrails of a giant fish. God will keep trying to get our attention until we finally break our pride, admit our disobedience, and ask for forgiveness. It didn't take long inside that fish for Jonah to realize that he went the wrong way. If the way you're headed is fraught with one disaster after another, stop and take stock. So often we just, we put our head down and we're going to just power through. Stop. Take stock. Things aren't working. Ask God why. Could very well be because you took a wrong road in disobedience and you followed along upon it. Jonah opened his heart to the Lord. He knew. He confessed his sin, but then he did something that's key to the comeback from disobedience. He pledged to go back to that fork in the road and obey. He closes his prayer to God in Jonah 2.9 with this promise, but I with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. It wasn't, you know, I've learned my lesson, Lord. And next time, should the opportunity present itself, I've learned, I'll obey. No, it was this time. I'll go back and I'll make good. I will obey, Lord. Immediately upon his repentance and upon his vow to obey, God begins the comeback. It didn't take long. The very next verse, Jonah 2.10, we read, And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. God answers that prayer right away. A second chance. Max Lucado in his book, In the Grip of Grace, relays the story of a soldier during the early days of the Civil War. A Union soldier who was arrested on charges of desertion. He disobeyed orders. He deserted his post. He fled. And eventually he was captured and unable to prove his innocence. He was condemned and sentenced to die a deserter's death. His appeal found its way to the desk of Abraham Lincoln. The president felt mercy for the soldier. And he signed a pardon, a full pardon. He was pardoned and he was released from service. Upon his pardon, the soldier could have lived as a civilian. He could have pursued any calling, any life that he wanted. But what did he do? With lesson firmly learned and driven by the desire to right his wrong, he re-enlisted. The soldier returned to service. He fought the entirety of the war and he was killed in the last battle. When they found his body, found in his breast pocket was the signed letter of the president. Close to the heart of the soldier were his leader's words of pardon. 
He found courage in grace. He found purpose in his second chance. And he made good. Jonah did the same. Jonah stayed true to his word. First thing he did was make plans and go to Nineveh. As soon as he dried off, he went back where God wanted him to go. He went to Nineveh and he delivered the warning. He did what God asked him to do. And to his amazement, you know what? The message was well received. Jonah 3, 6 to 10. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let the people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from His fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring on them the destruction He had threatened. It worked. Jonah's warning saved the entire city. Through his obedience in delivering the warning to the people of Nineveh, they turned from their ways and they turned to the Lord and they found mercy from God. 120,000 people were rescued because of Jonah's second chance obedience. If you find yourself running away from God, turn around. Turn around and run back to Him as fast as you can. Recognize the signs Recognize them for what they are. Chastisement. Turn around only in repentance. His forgiveness and your second chance obedience can your life be fixed. And He's so faithful. He's so merciful to give us that second chance and third chance and fourth chance. Don't wait any longer, friend. While your heart is tender, while there's still a road to obedience, while it's not too late, turn around and take the right road. Like Jonah, there is a way back from disobedience. There is a comeback. But the decision to bend the will is in your hands. From rebellion to punishment to restoration. That was Jonah's story. That's a great comeback story. The comeback from disobedience. We've looked at the comeback from failure. We've looked at the comeback from disobedience. And our third, our last comeback story today is the comeback from heartbreak. There's so many characters in Scripture who, who knew the pain of heartbreak, but few had such a long, repeated and unique heartbreak as experienced by Joseph. His heartbreak lasted from boyhood to manhood. His first heartbreak began at the hands of his own brothers. Joseph was the most loved of son of his father Israel. He was given the famous robe of many colors. And when Joseph reported having dreams of his brothers and even the stars and, and moon bowing before him, well, their jealousy of Joseph grew into action. The brothers sold him into slavery to a traveling caravan of Ishmaelites. And as if the heartbreak of his brother's betrayal was enough, now Joseph had to deal with surviving life as a slave. The caravan eventually took him to, to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. He found favor within Potiphar's household. 
until Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and upon his refusal to her, falsely accused him and got him thrown into prison. Things went from bad to worse. First, the heartbreak of betrayal. Then the heartbreak of losing your freedom. Then the heartbreak of false accusations. In prison, Joseph made the most of his time. With God's help, he interpreted the dreams of two prisoners, former palace employees, a cupbearer and a baker. He predicted that one of them will be reinstated and the other put to death. His interpretations came exactly true. The reinstated cupbearer promised Joseph, I'll remember you. I'm going to help get you out. But in Genesis 40, 23, we read sadly, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So now Joseph experiences the heartbreak of disappointment, of waiting in the dark, the heartbreak of loneliness, the heartbreak of being forgotten. It's a lot of heartbreak. We've all been there. We've all had heartbreak. We've all had disappointments. But through it all, Joseph never got disillusioned with God. We never read that he lost his faith. We, we never read that he turned on God. He never wallowed in his circumstances no matter, no matter how things got. He kept his eyes on the one who controlled his future. He kept his eyes on the one who controlled his circumstances. And God was orchestrating his comeback story. Two years later, the cupbearer finally remembers that guy in prison, Joseph. He arranges for Joseph an audience with Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's mysterious dream. Joseph, with God's help, correctly interprets the dream. Warning Pharaoh of, of impending famine. Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he puts him as second in command of all of Egypt. And he tasks him with the storage and distribution of food to survive the famine. Joseph becomes wildly successful. And he eventually reconciles with his brother. <coughs> Excuse me, his brothers. And he reconciles with his father. <coughs> And his comeback story is jaw-dropping. From the pit to the prison to the palace. And the key to his comeback from heartbreak was his focus. <clears throat> he never allowed himself to give in to the heartbreak. He never allowed his focus to shift from God to his circumstances. In fact, he allowed his heartbreak to work in him. <clears throat> he learned patience. He learned trust. He learned to rely on God. He let the heartbreak turn into dependence on God instead of bitterness. Instead of frustration, instead of weariness. He had become so refined and so prepared. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so ready for the position that God wanted him to have. That when Pharaoh heard Joseph's plan, he asked in Joseph 41.38, who could possibly handle this better than Joseph? <clears throat> After all, the Spirit of God is with him. Look, we're all going to experience pain. We're all going to experience heartbreak and loss and betrayal. We're all going to have days of tears and crying and sighing and aching. 
We're all going to have days where we're down, but we're not out. We don't stay there. We don't live there. We look to the one who is our hope, who has a plan for our lives. We turn our eyes to our deliverer. We look to the only one who can author our comeback story. We place our hope in the one who never fails. People will always eventually disappoint us. No matter how wonderful they may be, they're still human. If our faith is in people, it will fail. Dreams and aspirations will be fleeting from us. If our faith is in our dreams and our goals and our plans, it will fail. Our own knowledge and talent and strength, they will all eventually fail and prove futile in the trials of life. If our faith is in ourselves, it will fail. The only one who will never fail us, who will never let us down, who will never leave us, who will carry us to victory is our Heavenly Father. Let's put our trust and our faith in Him. And let's keep our eyes focused on Him. Lita Kurtzer penned a great poem to help us adjust our perspective. It's titled, I Will Not Be Discouraged. I refuse to be discouraged, to be sad or to cry. I refuse to be downhearted. And here's the reason why. I have a God who's mighty, who's sovereign and supreme. I have a God who loves me and I am on His team. He is all wise and powerful. Jesus is His name. Though everything is changeable, my God remains the same. My God knows all that's happening, beginning to the end. His presence is my comfort. He is my dearest friend. When sickness comes to weaken me to bring my head down low, I call upon my mighty God. Into His arms I go. When circumstances threaten to rob me from my peace, He draws me close unto His breast where all my strivings cease. And when my heart melts within me and weakness takes control, He gathers me into His arms. He soothes my heart and soul. The great I am is with me. My life is in His hands. The Son of God is my constant hope. It's in His strength I stand. I refuse to be defeated. My eyes are on my God. He has promised to be with me as through this life I trod. I'm looking past my circumstance to heaven's throne above. My prayers have reached the heart of God. I'm resting in His love. I give God thanks in everything. My eyes are on His face. The battle's His. The victory is mine. He'll help me win the race. Discouragement and heartbreak cannot keep us down when our eyes are focused on our source of strength and our deliverer. That's the key to the comeback from heartbreak. Amen? We've looked at the comeback from failure. We've looked at the comeback from disobedience and the comeback from heartbreak. And we've seen that each of them is only possible in Christ alone. Friend, I don't know what your situation is today. Do you find yourself in a place where you feel like a failure like like Peter did? Do you find yourself like Jonah on a long road away from God 
and nothing in your life is working out. You find yourself like Joseph, down, discouraged. Discouraged by heartbreak, loss, betrayal, or pain. I have good news. Your story is far from over. It's halftime, friend. There's still a lot of ball game left. Your story doesn't end here. Your story doesn't end today. Take your failure to God and find strength in Him. Take your disobedience to God and repent and receive His forgiveness and restoration. And take your heartbreak to God and let Him heal and repurpose you. He can take it all. He can take all the broken pieces of your life and turn them into something spectacular. But it starts with you. Only He can do it. But it starts with you. It starts with a decision to let Him lead. To let Him forgive. To let Him heal. To let Him restore. To let Him be your focus and let Him take first place in your life. And if you do everything that once was, everything that's happened, every failure, every disobedience, every heartbreak, they don't matter anymore. Every failure can be overcome. Every sin can be forgiven. Every heartbreak can be healed. And the rest of your story can begin. Turn to Him and your comeback starts today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that You are the great restorer. Only You can author our comeback story. We've all been through failure, Lord. We've all disobeyed. We've all followed the wrong road. We've all suffered with discouragement and heartbreak and pain. But none of those things need to define us if we bring them to You and let You empower, forgive, heal, restore, and strengthen us. Thank You for the examples You've provided throughout Scripture that remind us that it's never too late. It's never over as long as we have breath to turn to You and let You take over. Thank You for Your faithfulness to always rescue us when we come to You and to turn the tide of our circumstances around when we give You all of ourselves. We pledge our hearts, our wills, and our ways to You, Father. In the precious name of Your Son, we pray. Amen.